Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. So far up to this point about prayer, we have learned first and foremost that prayer is hard. It's a spiritual activity, and we are in the flesh, and we find that it's a difficult thing to do. And Jesus' own disciples, the twelve, had a hard time with prayer, so much so that they asked Jesus for help. And when they asked him for help, he told them some words that they could learn to practice, some words to say that would teach them about prayer. He also taught them that prayer is not really that foreign to what you naturally do, which is call out to and think about a lot of what's going on in your life. But ultimately, we'll pray when we have confidence that God hears us and God answers us. We've also looked at a few times this, in this series what to expect, that prayer takes persistence and labor, that it's hard work, and you and I have to be people who stick with it. We've learned what to ask for, that we should be people seeking after the will of God and that we should be in prayer asking for God to help us know how much we're loved by Him because if we know that we're loved by God and are seeking His will, He's going to lead us to be the very people we're supposed to be. And in the last few weeks, we've been really digging into some of the principles of really the basics of prayer. So we've talked about what it means to pray in Jesus' name, that we are in Jesus' acceptance calling upon the authority of God in the representation of Jesus saying, because of Jesus, God, please listen to us and please hear us. And we learned last week that we need to be people who pray in the Spirit, that we have the Spirit guiding us, that we have the Spirit assisting us and helping us. And the Spirit ultimately says that He takes our prayers and brings them to the throne of God so that the will of God can be done in our life. Okay, today... We've got a lot of the basics covered, and we could release you with these basics and say, go practice these principles of prayer. But today I want to challenge us to take our prayer life to the next level. I want to challenge us to go from intellectually understanding what prayer is to all the way in our inner self, pouring ourselves out in real deep prayer. I want to call us this morning, I want to challenge us to move from the front porch where we knock on the door occasionally and share some pleasantries with God to walk into the living room with Him and start sharing with Him some of the deepest things going on in our life. I want to challenge us to move into the place where we get vulnerable with God and we share the hard stuff and we start asking seriously for His help in our life. I want to challenge us to move from safe Tame, domesticated, and manageable religion to a full surrender to the living God in our life. This is harder and scarier than it sounds. Full surrender to God means it's going to call for us a greater level of investment, a greater measure of commitment, a greater integration of your life and God's life into one life a greater risk that your desire for your life might not turn out, but a greater trust that what He wants for your life will happen and it will be better than what you imagined. I'm challenging us, me included, to stop dating and time to get married, to be all in, 
to stop keeping Jesus at a safe, manageable distance where we just have a relationship by trading favors. Meaning, I'll do some religious activity, you give me some blessing, we'll meet up at the end and take me to the happy place, not the bad place. I'm calling for us to surrender, to trust. I'm calling for us to say, let's see if God will keep his promises when he said that if you follow me, you'll have joy, peace, and purpose unshakable. The pathway forward for us to be the people that I'm describing here is to learn to be those who call upon the name of the Lord. That phrase, to call upon the name of the Lord. That phrase alone was all it took for people to know in the first century that you were a Christian. Did you notice that the scripture that was read for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 I gave you the introduction for this reason. When Keith read it, it said, Paul, an apostle by the will of God, and he starts going through his normal routine, and he says, to those who are in Corinth, who have joined together with all of those who call upon the name of the Lord. You see, if you were in the first century and you said, hey, okay, this group of people call on the name of the Lord, that would be just like saying they're Christians, they're believers, they're the church. People that call upon the name of the Lord are those who are following after Christ, who are one with Him, and are practicing a life of the church. You see, this idea of calling on the name of the Lord actually started with Adam and Eve's grandson. Genesis chapter 4. After Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they have Seth, and then they have Seth has a child, and from that point, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Mankind began to call upon the name of the Lord. And from that point forward, this idea of calling on the name of the Lord is present with men and women of God throughout all of Scripture. It becomes the mark of those who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. So this morning, let's just try to make some sense of it. And hopefully we can see how we can become people who are confident that we call upon the name of the Lord. Let me start first of all with the concept of it. The concept of calling on the name of the Lord. What does it really mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Does it mean to pray? Like in 1 Kings chapter 18 when Elijah took the prophets of Baal up on the, onto Mount Carmel. And he said, you call upon your God and I'll call upon my God and we'll see which one really shows up today. It is prayer. But it's so much more. It's calling on the name of the Lord, believing. Like when you finally get it and you finally buy into Jesus, that He is the one and you say, yeah, yeah, I know who you are and I believe you're the one who you said you are. Well, yes, like Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, how can they call on Him in whom they have not believed? You can't call on Him unless you believe. It is belief, but it's so much more. It's calling on the name of the Lord, obedience. Like when Paul was telling the story about his conversion. When he said, Ananias told me to arise and be baptized, to obey. And he says, arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. That rising up and being baptized for Paul was the calling on the name of the Lord for him in that moment. It is obedience, but it's more than that. Prayer, belief, obedience, all of these things get wrapped up into this idea of what it means to be people who call out and call on the name of the Lord. It's wrapped together, but this idea 
of calling on the name of the Lord as it shows up through Scripture means a few different things. I want to show you what it means, and then we'll see if we can tie it together. The first thing that it means is calling on His name, calling on his name first of all, is an appeal to His authority. When you call on the name of the Lord, you are appealing to the authority of God. This would be like what Paul did when he was on trial in the later chapters of the book of Acts, and he, was going to be, he wasn't sure what was going to happen, but he leveraged his Roman citizenship, and he appealed to Caesar. Remember, that's why he had to go to Rome at the end of the book of Acts, because Paul, in his court case, appealed to the authority of Caesar. He was calling on Caesar, and he was saying, I would like to have my case heard by Caesar and not by you people. And so when he called on Caesar, they said, okay, and he was appealing to his authority. You see, this is it's like um, when your child comes and tattles on another child. They got a problem, something's going on, and they're frustrated by it, and they want it fixed, right? And so what do they do? They run and they say, Mom, or they say, Dad, they're tattling on somebody else because they're calling on a higher authority to fix a problem. This is like when your coworker CCs your boss on an email to you, you know, and they're like, they're, they're calling on an authority to make sure something gets done, right? They're calling out to something greater than you to make sure something gets done. Now, notice carefully, all throughout Scripture, it doesn't say that you call out to God. It says that you call on the name of the Lord. There's a difference. Calling out to God is just like screaming into the sky and begging for some magical deity and power to kind of show up for you because you're in a desperate situation. Calling out to God is just saying, hey, can you help because I think you're more powerful. But calling on the name of the Lord is specifically addressing the God that we know and the God that we believe in and asking him and appealing to him as an authority saying, I believe you are the sovereign king of the universe and with what's going on in my life, I'm appealing to your authority and no one else's. I want you to step in and I want you to help. So calling on the name of the Lord is an appeal to his authority. It's also an invoking of promises. Now follow with me on this. This is like Jeremiah's cry in Lamentations chapter 3. Now, if you don't remember the story, Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was telling the people of Jerusalem over and over, you got to get your head straight, stop sinning, stop turning away from God, or there's going to be punishment. Bad times are coming. And there Jeremiah, standing in the city, watches the city of God get torched, ransacked, burnt to the ground, and the people led away into captivity. And he's weeping, and he's crying. That's what the book of Lamentations is all about, the cry of Jeremiah. He's weeping over what has happened to the city of God. And in chapter 3, one of the poems that you see in Lamentations, Jeremiah cries out, remembering the faithfulness of God, when he said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness, meaning God has made a promise, God has made a covenant not to abandon His people. And even when I'm staring at a desolate city, a city that's burnt to the ground, I will remember that God has promised not to abandon His people. And later in chapter 3, verse 55, Jeremiah says, When I was in the pit, I called out to the Lord. And I was confident that he would deliver. 
It's an invoking of promises. Here's what it is. It's like when you sign a contract. Imagine this. Let's say you sign a contract to go to work for somebody. You say, hey, I'll do this, these sorts of uh, things for you, and you'll pay me X amount of money. And you sign this contract, and you show up, and you start working. You're doing all the things that you need to do, and it comes around to the day that they should pay you, and they don't pay you. What would you do? If you signed a contract with somebody to work, and they were going to pay you, and you did the work, and they didn't pay you, what would you do? If you said, hey, where's my money? And they go, I'm not paying you. How fast would you grab that piece of paper that has their signature on it and say, hey, look, see, this says your name, and you promised if I did this, you would give me this money, right? You would be calling upon that contract to tell them you need to do what you said you would do. Calling on the name of the Lord is telling and asking God to do what He has promised to do for you. Now there's the rub. What has He promised to do for you? Do you know? Like for instance, do you know God promised to give us a new heart that wants to obey Him and not run away from Him? So you struggle with obedience, not wanting to draw near to God? He promised in Jeremiah and then also in Ezekiel that I will give them a new heart, one that's soft of flesh, and they'll want to obey me. Call out to Him and ask Him. God has promised that in all circumstances, things will work out for that which is right for you. Romans chapter 8. Have you asked Him to do that in your life? He promised it. God has promised that He will conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. God has promised to give you His Spirit as His presence in your life. God has promised things to you. And in your life, have you called out to God and said, God, I need you to do what you promised to do? Calling on the name of the Lord is asking God to do what He promised. Now, here's the deal. What's beautiful about this. The example I used of a contract, God doesn't actually make that kind of relationship with us. If God worked in contracts, we would have avoided that thing a long time ago. We'd have been like, hey, God, can you... uh?" He's like, hey, you didn't live up to the contract. But God is not a God of contracts. He's a God of covenant. Covenant is what you see happen at a wedding when a bride and a groom stand before the people who are there and that person who is vowing themselves to the other do you remember how they say it they vow from themselves in rich richer or poor sickness and health better or worse saying regardless of what happens in our life or what you do even i am making a covenant of my will and my character to always love you Covenant is independent of circumstances and independent of what other people do. Covenant is your choice of your will. So when God said, I will love you, and I've promised these things to you, to my covenant people, God is not saying, when you do well, I do this. When you do bad, I don't. He's saying, I do this because this is who I am. God is a God of covenant. So we've got to know His promises. Calling on the name of the Lord is appealing to His authority that He's the sovereign King of the world. It's asking Him to invoke His promises. But calling on the name of the Lord is also submitting to His power. You see, to engage in a relationship with God where you call on the name of the Lord means you also have to recognize what that relationship is. This is not a counselor-based relationship where I say, hey, would you uh, evaluate these two situations for me? Give me some advice. It is not just like seeking legal advice from a lawyer and you get to decide what you're going to do. It is not like going to an accountant and saying, how do I best you know, maximize my tax deductions? That's not what dealing with God is like. 
He is the sovereign king of the universe. And when you appeal to his authority and ask him to deliver on his promises, you are coming into a relationship that says, I surrender to your power. Now this is rolling the dice. This is placing all your chips on him. This means you're done trying multiple different options. You're done trying all of your resources. You're done handling things. Calling on the name of the Lord means I'm handing it over and I'm fully trusting God to deliver for me. Calling on the name of the Lord is when we turn to God, asking Him to use His sovereign power to do what He has promised to do for us and fully submitting to letting Him do it. It's an expression of utter dependency on Him. And so many of us are managing our own lives and asking Him to sprinkle in some magic dust when things don't go well. Calling on the name of the Lord is saying, I'm, I'm done. You, you do it, not me. You show me, I don't know. So when do we need to do this? What causes us to want to call? Well, the ideal is that we would do it all the time, right? That we would just be people who call on the name of the Lord and live that way. And that's true. We need to be people who just, uh, we should be people, pardon me, who call on his name out of conviction, not just crisis. But the reality is we got to start somewhere. And so we need to be people who call on the name of the Lord, first of all, in times of need. In times of need, like the story I was telling about Jeremiah in uh, Lamentations chapter 3, 55 through 57. That was a desperate time of need where their city was ransacked. They had nothing left, and it was desperate. And he called out, God, please do this. Help us. We need your help. So I'd ask you this, in your time of need, what has you right now in your life backed you into a corner? What situation in your life have you resigned to because it just feels unsolvable? What's going on in your life that feels like it's not going to be fixed? A dead-end job that you don't know what to do with? Do you have just no real good relationships in your life? No community, no friends? You've just maybe given up? Are you staring down a financial collapse in your life that you just don't know how to get out of? Are you dealing in a marriage that is so tense that you don't know if real bitterness can be overcome and forgiveness can be found and you just sort of back out and just try to go numb and survive? It's time to call on the name of the Lord in those situations. What has you hopeless? What has you desperate? What has you saying, it's better just to go numb and give up and not worry about it, move on and think about it? Just, it just eats at you. It's time to take that thing to God and say, God, do what only you can do, and I'll follow you. We need to call on the name of the Lord in times of need. We need to call on the name of the Lord in times of uncertainty. If you are alive today, that means you have hope for being alive on tomorrow. I don't know if you will be or not, but there's a hope there. And if tomorrow comes, there's uncertain things about tomorrow. Some of you may be in a situation in your life where most things feel pretty certain. You know, the job you have, the person you're married to, the kids you have, the house you live in, a lot of those things feel solved and certain. And some of you may not be there right now. Some of you young people may be getting ready to move into times where you're trying to figure out where you're going to go and what you're going to do. It's in times of uncertainty that we need to be sure that we are calling on the name of the Lord. You see, whether you feel like you have no options at all, or you have too many options. Both of those situations can paralyze you. And I would encourage you this way. 
don't just come to God with options. Like, hey, God, should I do A or should I do B? Don't just approach God with options. Approach God with an open mind. God, what actually would you have me to do? God, where do you want me to go? God, I am doing this now, and I'm trying to be faithful in this place, but I'm willing to be where you want me to be and go where you want me to go and know who you want me to know and serve who you want me to serve. God, I'm open to you leading me. What are you uncertain about right now in your life? What are you wondering about what needs to be done? It's time to call on his name, not just for what you want, like, hey, God, can you make the thing happen that I want to happen? But to actually call on God and say, what do you want? Because you'll find out what he wants for you is actually better than what you even want for yourself. So we need to call on God in times of need, in times of uncertainty. But we need to call in the name of the Lord in times of worship. You know, the most frequent time we see the phrase calling on the name of the Lord in the Bible is in times of worship. In times of worship. Nothing changes a person like meeting God face to face. There's these instances in the Bible where people get a close glimpse of God, and the reaction is unbelievable. I mean, Moses himself asked to see God, and God had to hide his face and walk by him and hide him in the cleft of the rock. God then would show up later in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And as people saw Jesus and knew that he was God, they would fall down and they would bow before him, and they would instantly, naturally, offer their lives to him. You see, when we worship, We should be calling on God to meet us here, to be present among us, to let us see him in the eyes of our understanding. Jesus himself promised to drink the cup of blessing with us new in the kingdom. God said, Jesus told us in John chapter 4 that God is seeking true worshipers, meaning he's coming to find them. He's looking for them. And nothing will clear up your life and make your life really have purpose and clarity like meeting God and seeing God. There's this great quote from A.W. Tozer. He's an author, um, a beautiful guy. If you don't know much about his history, he's from Northeast Ohio. He was uneducated. He became a a, a minister for 50-some years, wrote the book, The Pursuit of God, that I commend to every person in this room, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer. He wrote a book. uh, He wrote several different things, but he has this quote that I love so much. He said, the reason why so many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress, is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. The reason it's hard, the reason it's difficult, the reason there's friction, is because you haven't come to the end of your own rope yet. That you're still trying to do things by your own power, with your own wisdom, and you're asking God to just make a few magic things happen occasionally instead of saying, I give you my life, now do something with it. I come as a vessel to be used in your service. You see, he's saying we're still trying to give orders and interfering with the work of God in our life. Let's finish with this. This idea of being able to call in the name of the Lord is probably the most compassionate thing that God has done for us. It's unbelievably compassionate. You see, calling, as, as, calling on the name of the Lord is as old as Adam and Eve. They were around when their grandsons started doing it. It was supposed to be simple and intimate. Like we see Adam and Eve in their home, in the garden, walking with God and close to God. But sin messed that up. And sin made it difficult for us to want to submit our lives to God and be near to God and close to God and trust Him to lead our lives. Approaching a holy God as sinful people became something that was terrifying to us. 
Something in us knows that we need to do this, but we're careful not to get too close because of our sin. And so God, over, over time, has given us ways to do this. He taught Abraham how to build an altar. He showed up in the smoke and in the fire and in the cloud to be near to his people and communicate. Then there was a tabernacle where they could come close to God, then a temple. But yet there was still distance. You see, God kept making this offer, and this offer of God to call on his name shows us that the Lord cares about us, and he's ready and willing to help us. But the problem is, up until this point, when you see calling on the name of the Lord, mankind kept forgetting to be close to God, kept forgetting to be near to him. And so God finally abandoned the temple and the tabernacle, and he gave gave us himself. In the form of a human, Jesus showed up, and he lived a life as us. And it says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh, and it tabernacled among us. God dwelt among us in Jesus, living a perfect human life. And like us, you remember the story of Jesus, like us, found his life backed into a corner in desperate need of help. In the garden, he called out to God, is there any other way for this to happen? And the answer was no. And then he finds himself hanging on the cross as a substitute for our sin, taking the death that we deserve so that we could be cleansed of our sin and be close again to God. And as he's hanging on the cross, he cries out one more time, a call to God when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that call from a perfect being went silent. He heard silence. Now listen. When you and I call upon the name of the Lord without Jesus, we deserve to hear silence. God, I need you. God, I don't know where to go. God, I need help. God, I've made a mess of my life. Please help me. And I deserve, when I'm crying out to God, please help, I deserve to hear silence. And when Jesus called out to God, he heard silence so that I would never have to hear silence the rest of my life that when i call out and cry out and call upon the name of god to his authority to do what he promised to do to surrender to him he said i'll hear you and i'll answer because of jesus that's why paul said in romans 10 those who call upon the name of the lord shall be saved where are you right now with god managing him or submitting to him trying to work him and use his system to be religious enough to get what you want out of him? Or are you ready to push all the chips in and say, I want to find out if this is real or not. I want to find out if this is good or not. I want to see if real joy, real peace, real purpose is found in you. It's time to call upon his name and see what he's made of. Let's stand and sing. If you need help, won't you come?